Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. That Christ is the Son of God, that He's fully God, He's fully man, that He came, He lived, He died. Uh, they buried Him in a tomb. On the third day, He rose again. Uh, he appeared to many over 40 days. He ascended to heaven, and one day He is coming back. Uh, A second question, do they remain faithful to the teachings of Christ? You'll be surprised when you look at some of the uh, uh, guys that deceived many years ago that made headlines. Um, They started out um, in a church, and then they gradually got away from that. And so do they remain faithful to the teachings of Christ? And then, of course, a third question, do they go beyond the teachings of Scripture? Do they go beyond the teachings of Scripture? You know, all we need is the Bible. We don't need anything else. So don't go beyond what is written in the Word of God. Let me give you another passage to look at when it comes to establishing a litmus test. Look, if you will, in Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, this is really good because this has everything to do with what we've read in Titus. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul is telling an experience, and he says, After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. Same said Titus that wrote the book we're looking at. I went up according to a revelation, Paul said, and I presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. And then he went on in chapter 5, verse 2. Paul said, take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he's obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. And we'll stop right there. Paul, after being a believer of Christ and sharing the gospel, he finally went to Jerusalem. He met with the leaders because God had gave his mission field to be an apostle to the Gentiles while they were apostles to the Jews. So he met with the leaders in Jerusalem and he says, here's the gospel that I believe. Here's the gospel that I preach and teach. And they were all on the same page. He's saying, look, circumcision isn't going to do anything for you. That's just uh, something that you do that you're adding as a work on top of the, the, the foundation, which is faith in Jesus Christ. 
And he says, if you're going to start adding works on top of your faith in Jesus Christ, that you've got to do this to be saved, and you've got to do that to be saved, and you've got to do this to be saved, you can play that game all day long. But at that point, you're on a treadmill of performance. You've fallen away from grace. You're no longer depending on Christ. You're depending on yourself. And no matter how good it is, it'll never be good enough. That's what he's saying. And so he says, look, I want you to know that what counts is faith working through love. See, when you have faith in Jesus Christ, you now will have a love for God and you'll have a love for people. And that the proof is in the pudding. When you have faith in Christ... He will give you a love for Him and a love for people. And there's your proof that you're saved. That's the fruit of your experience that demonstrates a change has happened in your life. So let me give you a few more questions uh, to use as a litmus test uh, to recognize false teaching based on what I read in Galatians. Uh, number one, how do, how do these teachers that you're looking at, how do they view God's law? How do they view God's law? To read the rest of Galatians, you'll find that the law is our schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. In other words, the law shows us how we have sinned, and therefore it establishes the need to be saved. So how do they view God's law? Number two, how do they view the cross of Jesus Christ? How do they view the cross of Jesus Christ? And then number three, does their teaching point to faith in Christ and produce a love for God and others? And that is so important. You know, uh, true biblical teaching is going to lead people to faith in Christ and it is going to produce a love for God and others. Well, those are questions that you can ask to establish a litmus test to recognize false teaching. But there's a second thing you can do. You establish a litmus test, you have those questions, Number two, you evaluate the teacher. You evaluate the teacher. Let me, let me share what I mean by that. Look in Matthew 7. Uh, Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, he talked about this. In Matthew 7, beginning in verse 15, I read it earlier. He said, Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? or figs from thistles. In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, and so you'll recognize them by their fruit. In other words, in this hypersensitive culture where people say, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge, you're supposed to be a fruit inspector. You know, when you go to an orchard, you see the trees, you want to see the fruit. That's where the proof's in the pudding. When it comes to someone with a Bible in their hand, no matter who they are, you want to see the fruit, not just what they say, but what they do. Look at their lives. And here, Jesus is saying, look, if they are a good tree, they're going to produce good fruit. If they're a bad tree, they're going to produce bad fruit. It doesn't work any other way. You can't be a bad tree and have good fruit. You can't be a good tree and have bad fruit. And so you'll know them by their fruits. Paul told young Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 
He says, as I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine. Now, isn't it interesting? You know, we're not used to talking about this at all. But here are uh, uh, letters to Timothy, letters to Titus uh, from Paul the Apostle, a seasoned um, leader uh, uh, and follower of Jesus Christ. And he writes these letters to young men in the ministry. And the very first thing he leads off with in 1 Timothy 1 and Titus 1 is false teaching. Very first thing he leads off with. So it's definitely an issue that we've got to be aware of in today's culture, even in our time. So he says, remain in Ephesus, 1 Timothy 1, 3, so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And some have departed from these and turn aside to fruitless discussion. So again, and then he goes on and he, he says that they want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about, that they're using the law unlawfully. They're using the law as a club to beat the sheep uh, over the head rather than using the law to demonstrate to sinners why they don't measure up and why they need God in their lives in the first place. I like to think of it as when you examine a tree, if you want to know how healthy it is, you don't go by what you see. You look at its root system and you look at its fruit. Whenever I evaluate someone's doctrine, I consider the roots and the fruits. The roots is their basis of belief. The fruit is the behavior that it produces. Let me give you an example very quickly. You've heard me share this story before, so I'll try to make it short. But years ago, the summer before my senior year of college, I always wanted to be a camp counselor. And God gave me the opportunity. Now, I went to this camp in southwestern Virginia. And um, at any rate, we were trained for a full week before camp started for the kids that summer. And every week, we got a new crop of kids. They came on a Monday. They left on a Friday. And we did that for six weeks. Well, during the training week, the director of the camp said, Now, Y'all need to be aware of something. We have certain groups in this area that teach that you can lose your salvation. And so when you have a kid that responds to our gospel invitation, ask them two questions. Number one, why did you come? Well, that was easy, you know. You see a kid come down, hey, why'd you come? And they tell you, that's easy. And uh, the second question is, have you done this before? And I thought, well, that's, that's odd. At this, at this point in my life in ministry, I'd never encountered that. So I, it just sounded strange to me. And then two weeks later, here we are in camp, and there's this, this kid is about 11 years old. And during the invitation time, he comes to me because I'm his cabin leader, and he's bawling his eyes out. And I got my Bible with me, and I said, hey, why'd you come? And he says, I want to be saved. And I'm like on cloud nine. I'm like, yes, this is it. This is what I've been praying for, you know. I mean, that's why I wanted to be at camp is to see young people, you know, respond to Christ and give their lives to Christ. I'm so excited, and I'm, I'm opening my Bible, and I'm getting ready to, you know, share God's Word. And then the training kicked in. And I was like, do I really have to ask this question? And I'm like, yeah, they, they trained us, you know, why'd you come? I want to get saved. Ask him 
So I asked him the second question. I said, have you done this before? And he said, uh-huh. I got saved in, this was 1994. He said, I got saved in 1991, 92, and 93. And you could have pulled me off the floor. I was like, I was like, really? Are you kidding me? I mean, if you go by what Scripture says in Hebrews, you can't lose your salvation. And even if you could, you couldn't get it back. And so you can't have it both ways. You can't say that, oh, yeah, you can lose your salvation, but that's okay, you can get saved again. To do that, Jesus would have to die again. And the Bible says that He died once for all time. Amen? Once for all time. That's all it took. That's all it took. And so seeing that play out right before my eyes in real flesh and blood, it taught me something. When you're evaluating a teaching, look at the belief system. Is it based on what the Bible teaches? And then look at the fruit. What kind of person does it produce? That's all I will say about that. So be a Berean. You might say a Berean, yeah. Um, And I'm not talking about on I-75 north from here. Uh, Yeah, that Berea. But Berea is in Acts chapter 17. Uh, Paul went to a a place called Berea in Acts chapter 17. And in verse 11, uh, it says, The people were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they received the word with eagerness, and they examined the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I have to just smile and chuckle when I read that, because here is Paul the Apostle, who ultimately wrote a third of the New Testament. He rolls into town, and they're ready to hear what he has to say, and they're like, hang on a minute. And they're making sure that what he says squares with Scripture. You and I would be wise to do the same. That's what I mean by be a Berean, because they were eager to hear the Word and they examined the Scriptures daily to see if what they heard was so. How to recognize false teaching? We talked about establishing a litmus test, gave you a few questions as a diagnostic. We talked about evaluating the teacher, look at their lives, you'll know them by their fruits. And number three, the final one, educate others on how to respond. Educate others on how to respond. What do I mean by that? We'll go back to Titus for a minute. We'll pick up in verse 11. Paul told Titus, it's necessary to silence them, these these false teachers. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. And then he goes on and says in verse 13, For this reason, rebuke them sharply, so that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. Now let me say this up front. I don't want anybody to misunderstand this. There's a difference between a misinformed believer and a false teacher. Let me say that again and I'll I'll give you an example. There is a difference between a misinformed believer and a false teacher. Let me give you an example of that. A misinformed believer is one that I think of personally from the Bible is Apollos. A great guy, Apollos. We learn about him in Acts chapter 18. In Acts 18, beginning in verse 24, now a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the Scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. 
He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus. Stop right there. So far, you're like, wow, this guy's legit. He, he's a believer. He follows Jesus. He's been instructed in the way of the Lord. Uh, he knows how to handle the Scriptures. And he's fervent in, sp- in spirit. I bet he's exciting to listen to. But then, if you'll continue where I stopped, it says, although he knew only John's baptism. He only knew about John's baptism. Now, you know that John the Baptist came before Jesus. He was the one that was called to prepare the way, right? And he called people to repentance. And in John the Baptist, when he baptized people, he says this is a baptism of repentance, right? But he says there's going to be one that comes after me that's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, okay? And so... All that Apollos knew was John's baptism. And it says he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And after Priscilla and Aquila heard him, the Bible says they took him aside. Okay, they didn't single him out. They didn't call him out in front of everybody. They took him aside. Hey, hey, Apollos, you hungry? Come to our house. Let's eat lunch. And they brought him aside and they explained the way of God to him more accurately. They, they said, hey, brother, we love your heart, and, and man, I really enjoyed listening to your message today, but I wanted to share something with you about John's baptism. John says that there's someone coming after him that's greater, that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and that's Jesus. And Jesus commanded his followers to be baptized. Why? Because it points to his death, burial, and resurrection that saves us. And that's what marks somebody publicly as a believer because when you get baptized, you're publicly indicating to people, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And now I'm dead to my old life. I've been raised by the power of God. And because I have Christ in me, I now have been baptized by His Holy Spirit because now I'm indwelt by His Holy Spirit that He promised He would give to those who believe. And then Apollos went, Got it. So that is Apollos. He was a misinformed believer, but once he discovered the rest of the story, off he went running, sharing the Word of God. A misinformed believer like Apollos is completely different from false teachers like here in Titus chapter 1, verse 10, the circumcision party. He says there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. They were Jews. That even though they heard the truth about Jesus, they still were holding on to the law and their traditions. And because they went back all the way to Abraham and said, well, all the way back to Abraham, which precedes Moses, You know, these Jewish men, they were circumcised as a sign of the covenant, and we're not going to let go of that. And that's why Paul said what he said in Galatians, I went to Jerusalem, I shared the gospel I preach with the leaders of the church, and when I got done, not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised, and he was a Greek. But the circumcision party, they were false teachers. They were adding to God's Word. They were adding to the Gospel. 
someone said this, three things that, there are three things that men never ought to try, that there are three things which men never ought to trifle with. Number one, a little poison. Number two, a little false doctrine. And number three, a little sin. That is so true. So let me wrap this up by saying this. Here's a conclusion. Believers, beware of false teachers. Jesus said it best. Be on guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravaging wolves. Believers, beware of false teachers. Be a Berean. Be eager to hear the Word of God, but when you hear it from anybody, including me, examine the Scriptures to see whether or not it is true. The other conclusion is this. Leaders rebuke false teachers. In context here in Titus 1, Paul says, I want you to appoint elders in every town, verse 5. They, verse 9, must be holding to the faithful messages taught so that they'll be able to encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. And then we learn why. Because these false teachers need to be silenced in verse 11 and they need to be rebuked sharply in verse 13. Leaders need to rebuke false teachers. So I want to close with this. I'm reminded of Jesus in John 14 when he simply said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Here's the way I like to say it. Because of the age in which we live, computers, the information age, and formal education, we tend to think that truth is an idea. And in the culture and society out there, they want to tell you there's no absolute truth. Truth is whatever you want to make it be. But there's one big obvious problem with that that nobody talks about. Truth is more than an idea. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. Okay? Jesus fully embodies all of God's truth. God is truth. He cannot lie. He is fully trustworthy. Truth is a person. And one of these days when Judgment Day arrives, all these people that say, oh, there is no absolute truth, yada, 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 they're going to look truth in the face. And they're going to have to deal with truth right then and there. And so I want to encourage you this morning to realize that Jesus is the way to God. He is the truth and He is the life. You can't get it anywhere else. See, the good news is that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that you and I should have died. He died in our place. He took upon Himself what we deserve. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving he's the Son of God, and now he offers the gift of eternal life to anyone who turns from their sin and trusts and follows Jesus Christ. Today, you can make that decision to repent, that is, to turn away from your old life and trust and follow Jesus. And it's my prayer that you will, as everyone stands, as musicians come, and as we prepare for an invitation, let's pray. Father, I come before you right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time in your word. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you would begin to move in our midst, that you would speak to each and every heart. Father, that you would have your will and your way in this invitation and in this service. 
Father, I pray if there's someone right now that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that today will be the day that they'll turn from their life of sin and they'll trust and follow you. And Father, I pray for all believers today, Lord. Lord, raise our awareness. Help us to realize, Lord, that there is a false gospel, that there are false teachers and prophets, that there is a false teaching out there today. And we can't swallow everything that just has a Christian label. We've got to evaluate it by examining the scriptures to see whether or not it is true. And Lord, help us to walk in truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.